1: for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Severed conscience is the examination of the prison in the mind. We are trapped by social media and unable to exercise our ability to make moral and ethical decisions. To join the conversation, leave a comment, or access the full documentary, please come join us at severedconscience.com. Our topics include discussion of clinical symptoms of ADHD, depression, and addiction. We do not intend to defame or denigrate those who suffer from these conditions and present these terms for educational purposes that further illustrate the points of our thesis. By proceeding, you, the listener, have acknowledged that there may be sensitive content presented that will be identified in advance, and that you, the listener, hold harmless the producers and opinions of the presenters. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.
0: when Facebook was getting going, I had these people who would come up to me um, and they would say, you know, I'm not on social media. And I would say, okay, you know, you will be. And then they they would say, no, 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 no. I value my real life interactions. I value the moment. I value presence and I value intimacy. And I would say, well, you're a conscientious objector. That's okay. You don't have to participate, but you know we'll get you eventually. <clears throat> and 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 like, I don't know if I really understood the consequences of what I was saying, <laughs> because it the un, the unintended consequences of 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 a of a network when it grows to a billion or two billion people, and it and it begin and it it literally changes. Your relationship with society, with each other, with, you know, it, 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 it probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. It, God only knows what it's doing to, to our children's brains. You know, if the, if the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them to really understand it, that thought process was all about, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while um, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's gonna get you to contribute more content and that's gonna get you you know, more likes and comments. I mean, it's a, it's a, val- it's a social validation feedback loop. That, that it's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. And I just, I, th- I think that we, you know, we, the inventors, creators, you know, and it's, it's me, it's Mark, it's the, you know, Kevin Systrom at Instagram, it's all of these people, um, understood this consciously, and we did it
2: anyway. It is said that as humans, we are all given the ability to manipulate our environment. We learn to build shelters, tame fire, cultivate fields, and in part to raise above the brutal violence of nature. But at some point, this equation that allowed us to master our environment has been turned on its head. Our environment now manipulates us, It shapes our thoughts, it dulls our minds, and it neuters our instincts. For eons, blacksmiths and artists reflected upon their art, then forged a new reality that did its best to impart their vision to change their surroundings. But at one point, the canvas changed and the new vision became the perfection of humanity. In a previous episode, we visited those communities and societies that strove to raise humans to a new level of perfection, But these utopian dreams were merely thinly disguised plans, which became a horrific nightmare of oppression, servitude, anguish, and torture. Yuval Harari, advisor to the World Economic Forum, leader Klaus Schwab, stated quite plainly in his book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, that according to the science of biology, people were not created. They have evolved, and they certainly did not evolve to be equal. The idea of equality is intertwined with the idea of creation. The Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity, which argues every person has a divinely created soul and that all souls are equal before God. However, if we do not believe in the Christina's myth about God, creation, and souls, what does it mean that all souls are equal? Evolution is based on difference, not on equality. With respect to allowing men To progress on his own, Harari details quite plainly his thoughts on the matter. It is common nowadays to believe that the market always prevails and that the dams erected by kings, priests, and communities cannot hold back the tides of money. This is naive. Brutal warriors, religious fanatics, and concerned citizens have repeatedly managed to trounce calculating merchants and to even reshape the economy. We must take into account the role of gold and silver, but we cannot disregard the crucial role of steel. In this episode, we examine the crucial factors of severed conscience through the use of technology and the science of the mind. How are these facets used against us? The end goal is to shutter our minds, severely control, and constrain our behavior.
3: So, this is Episode 3 of Severed Conscience. Uh, and, uh, as O just relayed to us, we are going to be reviewing, uh, technology and its effects on us. Uh, conscience is the state of mind where we are cut off from our mental capabilities to make rational decisions, uh, and even, uh, experience our environment, um, as we are placed in a state of fear, uh, and kept in that state of fear. Uh, today, we are joined again by Kelly Trawell. Uh, Kelly has a master's degree in forensic psychology, as well as a master's degree in family and marriage counseling. Thank you for joining us again, Kelly.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: This is a a quite a heady topic that we're about to embark upon, and uh, this basically will break down into two parts. Uh, one is that we're going to review cognitive functions. Uh, so basically how the brain works how the brain takes in information and, and what affects that state of mind that keeps us uh that may keep us from performing in an, op- at an optimal uh optimal rate uh we'll also talk about technology such as social media and artificial intelligence that uh that are used today uh as i just said the use of this technology is what is Creating what we call severed conscience. In other words, through continued use, we are triggered. We're pushed. We're driven to a state of mind where we're, we're not operating in our best interests. Um, so, as we begin, uh, I, I think it's it's all safe to say that we've uh, we've we are we, and I'm raising my hand here myself. We're all we're all active users of social media. And one of the things uh, that we recognized in in our research here is that social media and the concept of constant discovery, the concept of infinite scroll, and by infinite scroll, I mean I have a list, I scroll, and I think I'm at the bottom. Well, boy, I just brush with my thumb and I scroll and I see maybe 10 or 20 other items. Uh, And with social media, particularly uh, platforms like Twitter, we have short bursts of information that grab our attention. So within the course of maybe a minute, I'm exposed to something that enrages me. I'm exposed to, uh, to something that makes me laugh. Uh, I see takes that close associates have on subjects. I either agree or disagree. All of this over a course of a minute. And then it's repeated. And it's repeated and it's repeated. And you look up from the laptop, you look up from the phone, and hours have gone by. So, social media obviously has a draw. Uh, I think there's an addiction factor to that, and many of this is is much of much of this result comes from the fact that there is a chemical in our brains called dopamine that gets overstimulated when using social media. Kelly, can you can you uh, clue us in on uh, dopamine and what are the factors that, that our brain produces it?
1: Sure. Well, in 1957, Catherine Montague um discovered this in the brain as a neurotransmitter. So the long and the short of it is then a guy named Carlson um, went on to further examine it. And what he um, began to understand was that it's um, a precursor uh, for norepinephrine, but it goes a step further. What it does, so if we think about the brain in terms of um, the gut brain, in connection with the uh, the brain that's uh, housed in our head. There's a conversation that goes on pretty regularly about bite and slight, but there's also a conversation that goes on about comfort. And so we're always trying to stay just outside of pain. And it's kind of a myth that we're always pleasure-seeking because we're not. We're just trying to avoid pain. There are a lot of stressors that have a toll on the body, and these are all impacted by a number of both um, internal, external factors, as well as belief systems. So as a result of this, those neurotransmitters are always looking for a way to stay in homeostasis. In the discovery of this neurotransmitter, um, what a lot of research science uh, was doing was looking at, you know, how does this work? And then eventually in the 70s, they began to look at how do images affect this? How does the brain interpret those images? What is related to this? And then the correlation of um, the norepinephrine and the adrenaline, um, there's about 37 other chemicals, and I'm probably getting that number even wrong because science is showing there's more and more happening than we thought. What the body is doing in that attempt to maintain a homeostasis and regulate itself is it's always trying to reduce the amount of stress and the load on the body, but it's also trying to increase the amount of comfort in the body. In that way then um, that norepinephrine acts as kind of a a cauterizing uh, if you will to some of the stress and as a result then um, people at places like DARPA recognized we can use this to influence human behavior because if people are trying to stay just outside of pain we can also give them something that distracts because if you look at um, the sum and substance of the medical model of addiction this is where a lot of that research stems because we've seen that people will do whatever they can to avoid dealing with certain complex and difficult emotions. Grief being one right. of those, fear, sadness, loneliness. And so then we begin to see a plethora of studies that look at C2B motion, which we go back to Ladue, we go back to guys like, um, uh, oh, who's the guy? I just had his name in my head. I'm on the West Coast at Cal, who's got, um, he's a neurobiologist and studied David Goggins. Um, you know, we've got a lot of neuroscientists who are looking at how does dopamine impact the body and how does it impact the brain and, and the seat of emotion. So when we understand that social media um, puts in front of us a number of things that are pleasurable, but also a number of things that serve as a distraction, it also puts in front of us a great deal of seer, um, and it addresses loneliness because it creates um, pseudo-tribes. You know, we're best in a, a tribe of, a as um, J.C. was says, between 150 to 175 people. Well, we create these micro communities, even though we're not having a physical contact or that face to face interaction. We now have a sense of trident community that helps that um, dopamine to regulate. And dopamine as a neurotransmitter um, has a very short shelf life, um, it lasts only for a few seconds um, to a minute but it replenishes very quickly, several times throughout the day. The problem with this is that when it's overtaxed, as is the fear center of the brain, um, we see that there are a lot of things that begin to happen to the body because it goes into a hyper stress state, hyper arousal state. And this is why so many people get so triggered on social media. And that's why you get that sensation in your chest, um, that feeling in your gut when you see a negative comment to something that you posted or you don't get a positive swipe Um, You know, or whatever the the deal is, whatever platform you're on. And this is why things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and um, Snapchat are so popular because they're they're short and they hold your attention short and have reduced our attention span. But it's all geared towards, you know, using kind of that higher function that says, I just want to feel not that but we never identify what we do want to feel. And then I hear people say, well, I just want to be happy. But when you you nail them down, what they really want is they want to feel some contentment and a little bit of joy. They don't want to be stuck in the mire of constant fear porn coupled with um, uncertainty and chaos.
3: So so let me ask you, if we could hazard a guess, let's go back, let's say, let's go back in our time machine. Uh, And we're in 1972. Mm -hmm. What on average... How many? And I guess it would depend on a person's environment, but we talk about dopamine and what stimulates dopamine. If we were to take away social media use, can we can we sort of give a figure or some type of what? I'm just trying to make uh, draw a quantitative comparison of someone someone in the 70s, normal adult throughout the course of the day, they're driving in traffic. Mm-hmm. Okay, is dopamine obviously involved now? Adult 2023. Mm-hmm. Right, social media is—is is there, is there some way we can maybe depict or, or or talk about that in some type of quantitative way?
1: Yes, um, in fact, um, Susan Iverson and Leslie Iverson did a 50-year perspective on dopamine. Um, so it, it it's kind of timely that that came out in 2007. So, um, Paul Greengard, when he looked at the cellular signaling mechanisms that um, are triggered by dopamine. What he also looked at was how in biological psychiatry and psychopharmacology, um, this all works together on the central nervous system. And this was kind of, um, uh, if I go back to, there was a Senate hearing in the 70s uh, about the use of um, subliminal messaging Okay. Um. And so th- this is kind of contemporaneous with some of that research that was looking at how do subliminals work? How do, um, the how does dopaminergic um, mechanism impact our ability to focus and our ability, um, to avoid certain stressors? Well, back in the day, you know, particularly from um, the Vietnam conflict, just prior to it, uh, right up until about the latter 1970s. A bulk of the research looked at you know what is happening in the central nervous system around stress because stress was recognized as shifting away from day-to-day um, activities such as um, you know having to find a partner uh, having to procreate yeah. having to, yeah. shelter, yeah. shelter, to um, less demanding physically uh, jobs to more office-centered more um a sense of trying to feel safe in a world where things became more existential and less physically threatening. Mm. So again, this is where DARPA, you know, shows up in IARPA and several of these military agencies looking at what is the greater effect on society when this happens, as well as um, you know, there was quite a bit of research going on in Europe around this um, at about that time because a lot of what they were looking at was, you know. What does this tell us? Because if you remember the 70s, there was a lot of anything goes. There was a lot of free love. (laughs) You know, as a result of um, the 1960s, but there was also a a psychological shift to pleasure seeking and entertainment. And entertainment became increasingly more important. Um, The proliferation uh, away from radio to television, um, Mm -hmm. to physical experiences, to pleasurable experiences. That's all part and parcel with, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how do we sell these things? And then advertisers began to realize we need to emotionally sell, but we also need to make it feel pleasurable. So this is also when we started to see food industry adding more sugar to the diet, um, to foods that are processed.
3: Well, it's interesting. Um, My dad came back from Kiwanis. So this was in mid 70s, maybe, maybe a little bit later. He came back from Kiwanis meeting that night and they had some guy come talk about subliminal messages and ads and in mm-hmm. particular you may I mean you may know of this particular ad it's the gillette shaving cream ad and <clears throat> this guy went out that hey there's images embedded in here look at the shadow in the shaving cream what does that look like looks like mm-hmm. you know, it looks the shape of a beautiful woman it's all of this yeah and so my dad <laughs> my dad went and got some of his magazines and he started looking through the, and, and he started finding these. And so he shrugged it off. But I, I remember that because I remember just thinking, you know, I was old enough to go, well, what is this? Why would they even want to put messages in there? And I remember my dad's, so he's still incredulous, right? Until he grabbed the magazine. And it was just one of those things. And this is a Kiwanis meaning. This is just, you know, and, in a rural area, 2,000 people, a couple guys getting together. this guy shows up to give this talk. You know, so it's, it's kind of, you know, we talk about conspiracy and tinfoil hat, right. that would be perceived as a tinfoil hat moment right there. But mm-hmm. clearly, clearly there's been, there's, there's been studies uh, about this <clears throat> and uh, this is, this is known. I mean, frame rates, inserting images between frame rates, that is known. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney has just a long history of these types of images, where it's been caught with things in there that they that they turn around and apologize for, or they explain it away with "He oh, we were just joking around. This is just for us." Well, Mm -hmm. why do these things make it out of the pre-production process? Uh, So and and but but getting back to our social media and dopamine, you know, we're we're not our minds are not kept in that steady state this use and one of the things that uh and and and, and being and being I'm, I'm sort of a mid range in in that well you and i we're, we're all nearly the same age in that you know we didn't grow up with these devices, so the our I think our age group is perceived as irritable because mm-hmm. when we're on trying to solve tasks but mm-hmm. yet you've got that you've got that skype conversation or you got Slack going on, being distracted and switching context. So in other words, if I'm, okay, I'm focused on trying to finish up writing this email, but I'm constantly pinged over on the side. Hey, we just have an issue. Hey, so-and-so called. Hey, I'm canceling this meeting. Hey, mm-hmm. I need your help. I need, you know, I need to talk to you before we, and all of that is context switching. So doing too much of that introduces at least for me, and I, as I said when we began the series, it's, you're going to learn a lot about me, <laughs> because I'm using myself as an example. You know, there's an irritation there, mm-hmm. right? So that puts you in an emotional state of mind. Mm-hmm. Social media, and I'm drawing an analogy here, social media is that, but maybe a hundred or a thousand fold, just like you said. The mm-hmm. thousand little snippets that you see, each its own little context, each its own little introduction of an idea that take your attention away bathing yourself in this i mean just basically going through for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and hours that puts you into several you know maybe innumerable states of mind of you if you not being aware and now you're taxing this dopamine production which affects other other areas of of your cognitive ability concentration being one mm-hmm. uh, uh reading retention being another and uh and uh, just a general state of agitation that affects sleep, uh, and and so I'm going to segue to another area that we study here because we, we we've got a lot to get through. Uh, one of the things that I've been reading about for several years is the effect of blue light on the eyes, not only from you know from an ocular perspective of you know damage to your eyesight, but also what does it what does it do to the brain. And our our screens that we use, uh, our phones, our laptops, our TVs all emit uh, something what they call blue light. That's a spectrum of light that places the the when played upon the eyes places the brain into a high state of activity. Um, and this state of activity causes us to concentrate. Uh, and so there 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 have been innumerable studies about how this affects your sleep, particularly in children. And so too much, we've all heard it, too much screen time keeps you up at night. So this is yet an additional factor, I think, that is, that is, that is pushing us to a state of vulnerability. So if I've been, if I've been on social media for several hours not only have I been in this this constant state of look over here, look over there, squirrel, 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 squirrel. Oh, what's that? What's this? What's that? Oh, I've just found you know, oh great, I found this, I can use this for my project. I mean, we've all been there on the hunt for that information. That hunt, that quest of the mind, that's you've get your positive dopamine production there, and then it's rewarded. So there's all this there's all this reward that's going on. Uh this is this this is putting us in a I think it's a, a state of vulnerability where we can't concentrate, we don't have memory, and we're not sleeping. Uh, this um, interrupts what we call as circadian rhythms. And Kelly, can you can you define what those circadian rhythms are and, and why that's important uh, for to, to have what they call a normal circadian rhythm?
1: Yes, uh, um, Andrew Huberman, I think encapsulated this the best. He's the neuroscientist um, from the West Coast, and this is his one of his domains, um, because he studies the eye. One of the, um, facets of circadian rhythm is that this is part of our basic health functioning. Um, when we are in a good sleep wake cycle, um, and each person's, um, they've identified that there are three sleep wake cycles, uh, where there's optimum performance. Um, that that's called your chronotype. Um, in that circadian rhythm, what happens is that there's an ebb and flow in consciousness, but there's also in the states of unconsciousness when we're sleeping, those circadian rhythms um, dictate how uh, well we sleep, they indicate how long we sleep, um, you know, if we're not setting an alarm to get up at a certain time. And these can have a profound impact on our psychological state as well as our emotions and our mood. so they're they're Hugely significant in the way that we get through our day. I know that wasn't a very precise definition, but.
3: Okay. um, So if my circadian rhythms are messed up, I'm not functioning well. Uh, There's a a new phrase I learned, and I don't like the phrase because it sounds like it's really made up. Uh, I'm old school with my vocabulary, but it's called presenteeism. And I'm like, well, what the hell is presenteeism? And you're there, but you're not functioning. You're not, you're not. Fully, you're not fully engaged uh, with with what's happening with your environment, or in conversations, or with your current tasks that you're doing. In a sense, uh, now I would hazard to say that if your circadian rhythms are interrupted, you may be even in the state of daydreaming. You may be in this state where you're sort of, you know, kind of walking and not functioning. And I, I liken that. We've had this in other conversations, but we liken that to you're driving the same route every day but yet your mind is drifting between the radio between the text that you received 10 minutes ago before you started the car and you're really not ple- really not present um and that that i i don't know if we're aware of that and mm-hmm. I, i'm going to ask you again have you know, with with relaying with what you've seen with with your patients do you see that as a factor in, in, sort of, in sort of their mental health, and are they aware of that themselves?
1: Well, I, I absolutely see it. And one of the, the greater difficulties, because it's a biological clock, um, and I spend a lot of time talking with clients about sleep hygiene. I talk to them about um, their mental fitness, but I also talk to them about their uh, nutrition hygiene this master clock um, has a significant effect on us because it's a sleep-wake cycle that um, has, uh, it groups with about 20,000 genes. So, you know, I mean, there's a a significant amount of energy that goes into our sleep-wake cycle and that influence um, is part and parcel. Again, because as a systems thinker, you know, if we look at the thing in total, the brain loves heuristics. And I love that you mentioned, you know, we miss parts of our drive because the more that the brain can set up these schema, these underlying scripts that get us through our day, yeah. these are our are, um, consistent scripts that serve a function because once the brain gets into that pattern of behavior, it really likes that because it doesn't have to spend a lot of mental energy um, being consciously aware of what we're doing. What it can do is it can just kind of coast. In that coasting, it then frees itself up to perform other tasks. And so, you know, but the, like Huberman says, you know, it's important. Blue light is important in one regard because first thing in the morning and last thing at night, if we're getting some of the right blue light, not from a a screen, but from the natural light that's uh, in our world, you know, as the sun is coming up and as the sun is setting, the natural blue light and the, the other types of light that were emitted at both of those times of day impact those circadian rhythms and can increase our efficiency in sleep but when we have artificial low light and we've got led light what we do is we begin to tax that system and you're right the brain just says wait a minute what's going on i feel saturated um and then it it creates a form of stress in the brain and you know this is one of the things i'm really just not a fan of led lights um but a lot of my clients that come in they have free floating anxiety and when we start to kind of parse this their sleep is poor um i would say on average probably about 70 percent of my clients um have a sleep wake cycle where they're they're up three or four times a night in some cases five or six they're they they're getting yeah. poor quality of sleep um they're irritable they have difficulty with their nutrition uh, they have difficulty with their focus. Uh, they describe um, little things now frustrate them, which leads them to also a state of depressed mood mm. because they're they're exhausted. In fact, I've got one client that you know I I said I would invite you to have a consultation with a sleep expert because this person is experiencing experiencing such a significant impact on their mental health as a result of poor sleep. Um, not to mention, there's a significant childhood tris- history trauma but that childhood trauma can only account for a portion of this the rest of it is related to sleep and poor sleep and then the activities at night just before they go to bed so this is why several neurobiologists have said you know limit your screen time don't be in front of the blue screen an hour before you lay your head down on the pillow and why it's so important to take breaks from uh things like computers and LED lights.
3: yeah yeah it's um and the LED lights are everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. Uh they're because we we no longer have the you know Edison style light bulb. That mm-hmm. that was replaced uh under President Bush. Oh boy, almost 20 years ago. We don't produce those here anymore. Now we get the LED lights.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <clears throat> um and I, I, I think that the it, so over the past twenty years, we've been studying the effects of these. Uh, circadian rhythms, as, as some may know, also affect the production of melatonin. Uh-huh. Uh, now there's, there's a, and I'm going to butcher this, so correct me where I'm wrong, but there is a, what they call the the brain blood barrier. Melatonin is important for, uh, for many things. Number one, seats, c- sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have the balance of melatonin, uh, in your brain, you're able to go to sleep at night. There's also though melatonin produced uh, in the gut,
1: mm-hmm.
3: but what's produced in the gut doesn't make it to the head. So they have found they have found because it, 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 that does not that does not pass or at least from what I understood that does not pass through the the brain blood barrier. And so overproduction though of melatonin in the stomach somehow affects the production of melatonin in the brain. Mm-hmm. So getting back to what you're saying about nutrition and diet that also affects, you know, what's happening upstairs, particularly in young children, that, you know, it, it, it's, it becomes a series of cascading failures that once once that sleep cycle has been disturbed, that affects nutrition. But at the same time, there's many things that can get you there that once you're knocked off, it's very, very difficult to bring someone back. I mean, it's very, very possible, but there's there. Because we become so habituated to this style, and we're talking about heuristics and patterns, we have these things that we're doing over and over again that we do not realize that are, that are to our uh, increasing detriment you know, as, as, as we go on.
2: We defined in this series that severed conscience is an individual who is in a certain state of mind where their conscience has been separated or walled off by their psyche easily manipulated, irrational. They are susceptible to the lure of novelty and tack like a crow to a shiny object. For more information or joining the discussion, please join us at severedconscience.com.